Want to do a quick commercial here for our friends at Daxco. That is D-A-X-K-O. Owners of Club Automation, CSI Spectrum, MotionSoft, BFP Next. These software platforms go beyond the current club software and provide best-in-breed solutions to the Halo sector. They wake up every day. They're thinking about your fitness community. They're trying to enhance your member experiences, the facility, easy-to-use software for the staff. If you're looking to change your software, if you're looking to get ahead, if you're looking to get to the next level in the Halo sector and win, do me a favor. Go to info.clubautomation.com forward slash the experience. That is forward slash the experience. Pete Moore, Petey Mo, checking out. And now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Dan Tobon coming in from Chicago, a serial entrepreneur, overqualified for any job that you might list on LinkedIn. Financial legal survivor tactical skills. We're going to talk about Relivium. We're going to talk about CBD. And we're going to talk about all the trials and tribulations of building successful businesses. So with that preamble and no issue with covering any of these aspects, Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate the time. So talk about your background. And, and it seems like when I read your resume, um, you know, you could be 80 years old at this point to, uh, to, to cover all the ground you've had. Yeah, um, you know, we're about I'm, the same age. So, you know, give us the chronology that got you to here and how all those life experiences have kind of made you, you know, a CEO in the space. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm a really hard 40. Um, so <laughs> I, I started my career at 17 in the military, uh, enlisted straight out of high school. I actually thought I was going to be a lifer, uh, really love being in the military. Uh, you know, seven and a half years uh, and a, a very long combat tour later, uh, decided I should probably uh, slow down a little bit. Had a, a persistent back injury that I suffered in Iraq, uh, decided to do my best impression of a lawn dart falling off a building. Uh, two compression fractures in my uh, T12 and L1. Uh, that led me to uh, try to find the most boring job I could uh, out of the military, which was to go to law school and become a lawyer. Ended up becoming uh, a corporate attorney for a large international law firm called Latham and Watkins, uh, worked out of their London office to, uh, doing uh, structured finance and project finance, quickly realized the magnitude of the mistake that I had made for my personal life and the lifestyle that I like to lead. And uh, being locked in an office 16 hours a day was not something that uh, I knew was uh, uh, going to make me happy long term. So left that and became a general counsel of a small software company very young, very dynamic company led by some very smart founders, and then quickly ended up assuming the role of the uh, CEO there. Uh, so got really involved in operations, figured out, you know, with my military background and kind of being a product, proactive A-type, uh, that that was a much, much better role for me. And that kind of snowballed uh, into me realizing that I kind of wanted to lead the ship, not just be on it. Um, ended up founding my own uh, tech company, uh, built that over five years. Uh, we're now in the process of selling that to private equity. And then back in 2012, when cannabis uh, first started becoming uh, mainstream in a legal sense, uh, uh, I took a great interest in that. And that kind of had been 
a culmination of a lot of different things. One, the market opportunity was just gigantic. You know, this is probably one of the most commonly used controlled substances on the face of the planet. Uh, people are estimating this to be a hundreds of billions of dollars of annual uh, revenue generated by this industry once it's all said and done. You know, having uh, migrated to the U.S. from Colombia, I was, you know, uh, acutely aware of kind of the uh, troubles that are created when a government decides to make a substance illicit, um, uh, you know, and you know, my parents and I kind of grew up having a front row seat to the drug uh, uh, war on drugs. Uh, it's part of the reason why I ended up coming to the U.S. at a very early age. Um, and, and then just from a intellectual standpoint, I mean, this was a once in a lifetime kind of occurrence, right? You have all of these governments all around the world deciding in a very short time frame that they're going to legalize something that they've been sending people to jail for for a very long time. So I, I thought it was like super interesting that this was going on and we were going to be able to participate in that. Uh, and then from a personal perspective, having seen all my friends that came back from combat, uh, uh, you know, guys could saw some very traumatic stuff, uh, having involved in very high stress uh, corporate environments. Uh, I, I got to see a wide array of how people dealt with that stress and dealt with the trauma of their everyday life, whether it was, you know, uh, hating their life as a corporate lawyer or, you know, being shell-shocked by uh, and suffering from PTSD by having to see some pretty gnarly stuff uh, overseas. Uh, it, the people that I continuously and successfully saw themselves self-treat it was almost always with cannabis. Uh, people who went to prescription drugs never really did really well. People who, uh, you know, try to uh, right their woes with a bottle uh, never saw or do really well. Uh, and so it was basically, you know, people who practiced mindfulness, uh, led very active lifestyles, worked out, and people who treated cannabis. Those were the success stories that I saw. Are you uh, doing, are you doing uh, THC and CBD? So our parent company does both. Uh, right now in the U.S. market, because of the state of regulations, we're focused on CBD almost exclusively. Mm. Uh, so I thought, uh, I thought when they originally uh, were issuing the licenses by state, they should have allowed the guys that had the customer base come out and say, hey, I got 5,000 customers. Could I just make this legal? You know, I basically been a, a, you know, a very successful pharmaceutical rep below the radar screen. Um, you know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah, no. And, you know, it's funny because some states are now doing that. If you look at what New York just did, the next set of dispensary licenses that they're issuing, they're actually going to go to people who have previous criminal convictions for selling marijuana. And there's a lot to be said with for that. You know, though, part of, you know, the ideal of, of uh, bringing people into the pale uh, and, and getting rid of the black market, which is unregulated and a lot of times unsafe, right. is giving those people an opportunity to become legit. The government we, we had a guy on, uh, he runs a company called Conbody, uh, and he was running a $3 million annual business, right? And then he went to jail and uh, came up with this workout, and now he employs ex-cons. Uh, but once they make that legal, anyone who's in jail for that should, you know, be taken out and, you know, basically given an employment, uh, you know, at the local dispensary, right? Absolutely. Totally yeah, qualified for that. Probably know a heck of a lot more than the average bud tender who gets, you know, two weeks of training before they hit. Uh, exactly. Hit, uh, and he's, 
He he actually cost never had anyone end up going back to jail. I spoke to him oh, a couple of days ago. Of, yeah, yeah. I forget, so that, I forget the term man. for that, but they, they yeah, recidivism. Out. Yeah, recidivism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you give people an opportunity, man, you know, they'll always surprise you. Yeah. And it's a lack of opportunities that create recidivism. So we're we're definitely all for that. So so you get the license, you know, you're now a serial entrepreneur, you got your legal background, you know, tactical. How do you think about the market and where to go into? Um, you can obviously try and cut deals where you're going direct. You got your own stores. You've got private label. How, how does your brain work and how did you kind of lay that out? Because you can't do everything up front. You know, you can probably backfill it. But where was the biggest opportunity and where did you want to kind of say, I want to stake, put my stake in the ground here? So it, so that's a great question. Uh, so I didn't jump in uh, uh, to the cannabis industry uh, kind of head first, right? I kind of took my time. I got a job as a CEO, CEO of another company that was working in cannabis to kind of uh, get up to speed. And what I saw uh, as the overall big trend is that this is a freaking commodity, right? There is no reason why we should be growing this plant in the middle of, you know, uh, Leamington, Ontario, or, you know, northern New York. Uh, this plant loves growing on the equator where it has 12 hours of sunlight and 12 hours of darkness every single day for free. You don't need to pay for halogen grow lights. You don't need to pay for these expensive buildings to grow this in. This stuff wants to grow outside. So if we're ever going to get this thing down to a commodity price structure, it has to be grown in an environment where this, this will grow. So you're talking about a difference in a dry gram of somewhere between a buck twenty-five, which is what it costs you to grow it into you know big greenhouse here in North America, to somewhere around three cents uh, if you're growing it in somewhere like South America. So the second that I saw that South American countries were going to start issuing licenses, predominantly Colombia, I'm like, this is it. This solves for that issue because you are not going to change usage patterns uh, until you get that commodity pricing right. People are not going to be paying seven dollars a dose for this stuff. It doesn't matter how well it works. It doesn't matter how high it gets you. You know, if you're going to put this in Pepsi, if you're going to put this in a uh, uh, Powerade, you need to get it down so the price is manageable and so that consumers are not going to pay a 10x, 15x, 20x mm -hmm. premium for those products. So when I looked at the market, I said, that's where I got to be. I got to be where this thing is a commodity, because if you start from there, the world is your oyster. How, how many licenses were given out in Colombia for, is it for growing? Is it vertical integration? We Is have for export. So they have everything. So each one of those uh, licenses that you just mentioned is a separate license, but we have the full suite of license. And then we actually have a license that you can't get anymore. They stopped handing them out in 2018. It's called the genetic source license. So I actually have a, a genetic catalog of different strains. And now only I can own those strains. Other companies can buy that those genetics from me. Me and the other companies that got those licenses prior to December 31st, 2018 are the only ones that can act as, as genetic sources for the rest of the licenses that come afterwards in perpetuity. And are you now, a my, citizen? Yes. Yes, I am. And you're, I'm assuming you had to be a citizen of Columbia to bid No, on not at all. Actually, uh, very few of the licensed companies operating there today are uh, run or operated uh, by Colombian citizens. A lot of them are uh, foreign investors, predominantly from Canada. Uh, and we could that's a whole other podcast episode because those guys have made a mess of the uh, public equities markets uh, <laughs> in cannabis. So, so would you say that um, 
the local people of Colombia are rooting for you as the as, as the incumbent. I'm just kidding. I'm just, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is a very important, you know, the law in Colombia was actually passed as part of the peace process that was negotiated with the FARC. You know, uh, Colombia had one of the longest running civil wars that was then compounded by kind of the narco terrorist organizations that operated in the country. And, you know, uh, Colombia has a lot of really great things going for it. It's one of the more stable economies in Latin America. It's keeping pace with the BRIC countries as far as GDP growth goes. Uh, they have a very uh, burgeoning and, and, and quickly growing middle class. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of the political leadership in Colombia took stock of what the bigger problems were. And they were the, you know, the uh, political violence uh, and narco trafficking. And they figured it, you know, how can we solve for this? Cannabis legalization is fundamentally, you know, a piece of this uh, peace process, because what you're doing is you're taking revenues away from bad actors and you're giving it to legitimate business people who want to go with this stuff. And that's something we all want to do. We want to create good paying jobs. We want to provide uh, economic growth uh, by having a massive industry uh, uh, be based in Colombia, one of the best places to grow cannabis in the world. And then we want to do everything legitimately and legal to put out a great product out that people enjoy. You know, Colombia has done a great job branding coffee as Colombia being one of the best places to grow that uh, plant and export it throughout the world. We want to do the same thing with cannabis there at all levels, pharmaceutical, personal use, uh, you know, OTC, medical, and then obviously performance enhancers, which is what we're talking about today. When you, take it, when you say you take it down to commodity pricing, like three cents, are the, are the farmers and the landowners of Columbia have enough volume where they say, Dan, I'd love to change over to this crop, but you got to give me some more money. So the, that is one of the actual things that, you know, Columbia has learned with the coffee industry, right? The guys that were actually growing the product, the guys that were mostly responsible for the quality of Colombian coffee were the ones that were getting the least amount of money because you had these multiple levels of brokerages and traders in between them and the final produce and the final user, whether right. that be you or me or Starbucks, right? So in their licensing structure, Columbia has very intelligently done away with that. You know, the people that are growing uh, and the people that are processing are either one and the same or they're closely interrelated. So we make sure that if I own the cultivation facility, I'm paying above market wages across the board. If you're a small grower, you're likely working with a large exporter. And by merit of the competition, they have to pay a better price than what they would do if there was three or four brokers or large exchange in the middle just taking up a, a chunk of the margin. Also. Part of the law in Colombia says that as a large producer, I have to buy 10% of my feedstocks from a small farmer. So I'm there. They even have a guarantee that we're going to be buying from them. So it, it, it's all been very well thought out. I'm, I'm actually very, very content with uh, with the way that the government has uh, has run these programs. And from a, a shipping cost standpoint, you're, you're still oh, well below. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, we I mean, the. the being a vertically uh, integrated producer, uh, I have the ability to provide a much better project. I'm talking about objectively, you know, because we're USDA and EU organic certified. So I'm growing up an objectively higher quality product at 
a much, much better price than you can find growing locally here. Do they fly a Colombian, U.S., or a weed flag on the shipping container? <laughs> so funny that it's funny that you should mention that. We so we actually have to certify everything with uh, uh, Customs and Border Patrol here in the United States. So every SKU that we send from Colombia, uh, whether it's a flour or whether it's a processed oil, CBP knows it's coming well ahead of time, and it actually goes through kind of a slightly different channel than what your UPX or FedEx would be used to. Right, right. So there, it goes into security cages. There's, you know, a chain of custody that follows it. Uh, even for CBD, like even for stuff that's not psychoactive uh, or considered psychoactive by the U.S. government, we have to follow these high security protocols. But, it, but it's all good because, you know, it just adds to kind of to the provenance, right? We, we know that it's the product that we're shipping and that's what's going to end up in the products here in the U.S. Yeah, so let's talk about all the benefits of... You know, I guess CBD first um, and how that affects people on the recovery side in the fitness industry. And, and where have you seen, you know, some of the benefits that, you know, you're, you, you kind of say, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that this plant could do this. Yeah. So, you know, uh, first of all, you know, our core mission is to give people products that work, right. We know certain things about CBD because the literature, the scientific literature exists out there. You know, but we also know that it's not a cure-all for every single thing, right? So then, what do we know that this plant can do? And what products can we create that treat those indications or help uh, address those indications? One very interesting thing uh, that you guys might know is that NIH actually just released a kind of uh, what they call a narrative review for relevant evidence and recommendations for future research for CBD in sports medicine. So what are they saying? They're saying, all right, we know that this plant has amazing anti-inflammatory properties. We know that this plant has amazing anti-convulsive properties. That's why it's beat certain you know, derivatives of cannabis are being used to treat epileptic patients. Uh, and that we know that this plant helps reduce anxiety and it helps improve people's ability to rest and therefore recover. Right. So think about that for uh, people that do really intense anabolic uh, workouts, uh, trying to build muscle mass. Part of what stops them from uh, recovering more quickly and being able to put on that mass is this giant buildup in lactic acid. Right. Imagine if you could take a natural compound that had little to no known side effects that help reduce that inflammation by 50, 60, 70, 80 percent. On top of that, that same compound allows you to get better sleep at night. So your recovery uh, happens a lot faster. Why wouldn't anybody want to use that? That was our thinking. So we took very high quality, very pure, you know, we very unadulterated. We take basically the, the direct plant extract, and then we put it into products that work fast and taste good if they're ingestible, or they have other proprietary technology, transdermal technology to make sure that they get through the dermis and they act quickly. That was it. You know, it's no big secret. But now you're getting publications like Men's Health, uh, the International Association of Science, uh, sorry, the International Sports uh, Sciences Association. You're getting a powerlifting magazine. You're getting all these health and, and ha- these halo periodicals. Uh, Trying to use the right term. <laughs> you uh, that are that are actually focusing in on that. What we really know desperately is for the FDA to get on board and allow us to start running human trials 
So we don't just say, okay, we know that it has this property and we have enough kind of observational data to say that it can do this. What we need now is to be able to run human trials and, and, and mass observational studies to conclusively be able to say with the FDA's permission that, hey, man, you know, taking, taking 25 milligrams of CBD after every single workout is going to drastically improve your rate of recovery. We would love to say that. Yes. Yeah, so from, from the stance of colleges, professional teams, you know, what, what's the ability to use, it, it, to use the CBD across the board? Like that's not considered an issue, but the THC, right, Correct. is is banned Correct. still across the board, or is there any leagues that have? No, I think uh, MLB just announced that they were no longer going to test for THC. I think the NFL is very, very close. A lot of other, um, uh, I think the NBA stopped testing. Uh, uh, so a lot of people are going to stop testing for THC eventually. You know, it's funny because they went from uh, certain sports uh, bodies actually went, okay. You can't take this because it's illegal. And now they're saying, okay, you can't take this because it's a performance enhancer. And I'm like, okay, so what was it? <laughs> this substance that's really, really bad, or something that's actually changing your, you know, brain or body chemistry to actually make you so. So that company, Crypto.com, paid thirty million dollars a year to sponsor the name on the uh, Staples Center. Yep. How many years is it going to be until a THC CBD company, you know, takes over a, a stadium. It's going to be soon. Uh, it's going to be soon. The state of Illinois last month, I think did something like $170 million in, uh, now that's across all companies, but the state of Illinois now in Colorado, uh, I believe California is in this, uh, and I believe, uh, 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 uh Massachusetts is now in theirs. We collect more tax revenue from cannabis sales than we do from alcohol sales. Wow. Just think about that. And that's, you know, you're talking about states that just went legal in 2014, 2015, 2016. They've only been around, those markets have only been around for five years. And that's with a significant amount of sales still going to the black market. So what's the tax on these? The oh, 30% it or? varies widely, but you're talking about 30 to 40%. Wow. Yeah. So imagine that. Yeah. So that that's a whole other issue that we could get into, but yeah, you know, we will have the you know, uh, uh, Cresco Arena or the, the Green Thumbs Industry Arena sooner sooner than you think. Right. So, give us a little insight into what are you doing in the fitness space? You're doing some work with uh, with exports, some some athletes setting up their own, yeah. you know, white label lines. A lot of our listeners are in the industry. Um, always looking to add more products. Obviously, it's a very high margin product. It's new and it's innovative. Um, so, so give us a little bit of how that program works, how quickly they get to market, what they need to do, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, uh, we were actually very reticent at first to do a direct-to-consumer product because we wanted to be the Intel inside, right? We wanted to be the back end. We wanted to provide the best product for large uh, producers and people who were better at the branding game or the marketing game than we were. We, uh, I'm an operations guy and a product guy. I can build that widget the best for the cheapest amount. I don't necessarily want to be out there on the street selling the widget. What we quickly realized is that there was such a trust deficit for lack because of the lack of quality product that we almost had to get into the direct-to-consumer game. And that's where we built the brand Relivium. Why did we go with Relivium? Well, at the time, we thought we were going to be able to register all our products OTC over the counter with the FDA. 
And then the FDA kind of threw us a curveball with uh, uh, some regulatory guidance. Uh, and it ended up that that didn't be the case. But we knew we wanted to play in the sports uh, halo uh, recovery uh, area because those were serious people who do not associate themselves with traditional cannabis use, which is, you know, getting high and eating a pint of ice cream. And these were people that we, that had uh, conditions or symptoms or things that we knew we could address with this plant. So uh, Relivia came about and then we started kind of just sharing uh, our product with athletes in our network. So typically endurance athletes, triathletes, those kind of people. And the reception that we got was phenomenal. That led us to be recommended to uh, a couple of uh, professional athletes. So we are now currently in the process of uh, doing Taj Gibson from the New York Knicks uh, CBD brand. Um, that should hopefully, uh, 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 we should hopefully be releasing that first product here in June. We are working with uh, gyms like Export Fitness to sell the Relivian brand directly through the gyms. You guys are more, you know, versed on what's going on in the industry than I'll ever will be. But, you know, this is being able to sell these efficacious products that have a brand that stands behind the effect and an effect that their members can feel right away is kind of a no brainer, right? Uh, When you get people who are professional athletes who live and, you know, pay their rent, their mortgage, their car note by merit of their athletic ability, and they're using this product and they tell you it works. There's no better marketing that I could come up with. We're also currently sponsoring the AVP volleyball tournament out in Manhattan. We're the only CBD brand that they've uh, ever accepted. Uh, our booth is right next to Kaiser Health's uh, uh, booth. Uh, you know, that's how seriously kind of uh, they've taken us as a sponsor. Uh, and, you know, we're in the process of really converting a lot of the athletes that are participating in that event into uh, non-paid spokespersons because they love the product. Let me ask you a question. So you've got this a brand that you've created called Relievium. Mm-hmm. Intuitively, I know it's going to relieve something, right? Right. Why do these pharmaceutical companies name their products that make no sense to me? So like Duplixent, <laughs> yeah. right? uh, Ibrance, um, Cosentix, Trulicity. Uh, what's wrong with these groups that want to create some funky name that you don't even know what it is? And the commercials, 20 seconds of what it does for you and 40 seconds of what the side effects are, which are worse than the actual condition I have. Oh, man, I, I think they need better trademark lawyers because uh, <laughs> I think what they're really trying to do is just come up with a crazy name so they can find a website real easy and not pay out the nose for it. <laughs> Relieve you, Mike. You know, how'd you come up with that name? Uh, so it's funny. We uh, had a group of really smart marketing people from the uh, cosmetics industry kind of help us out with that. And, you know, we threw a bunch of names that we liked out there. And then, you know, we told them, it's like, look, we don't want you guys to focus group. We just want some feedback. And of course they go and focus group it. And, right. <laughs> and Relivia, I'm like, I, I, it was, it was some, they, they said that they'd never seen it. There was 10 names on the list. I think Relivium every single time got like 90% of the votes. And it was like, and they're like, we've never seen anything. Like, usually it's like, you know, fairly split between the top three. And like, this one just ran away with it. And I'm like, well, is it trademarked? And we looked up the trademark. It was available. And bam, you know, we jumped on it right away. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 
So when you think about building a consumer brand versus th- thinking about building these relationships on the, you know, white label and private label side, you know, where do you come out and how do you think about, you know, the amount of money that you need in each one of those channels? So that, that that's super interesting. So to, to build to build your own brand, if you don't have a captive audience, if you don't already have an audience, so whether you're talking about Web3, where you have these people already through kind of your social media or uh, digital marketing, or whether you're a gym owner and you have, you know, a loyal customer base that comes into your facility every day. Uh, if you don't have that, it's really hard to build a brand. Uh, building a direct-to-consumer brand in any market, especially a crowded market, especially a crowded market where people, you know, may be skeptical about your product, is really, really hard. And you, I would say, you need, you know, orders of magnitude more money than you do. But where our white label program does really well, where we create product for other companies, is when that company already has a uh, active following. So, for example, somebody like Taj Gibson, that guy's a celebrity. You know, he's a celebrity athlete. He's already got a ton of people following. For him to put his name on something and get it out and make it sell well, that's a much, much uh, easier lift than it is for, you know, Joe Smo off the street. The same thing with uh, with gym owners. You know, if, if you have a trusted brand that people love and people are already engaging with, it's so much easier for you to just, you know, put design a good logo, work with us to build a quality product, and then put that into your gyms to sell. That is a much easier lift than somebody going out there. And, you know, unless you're kind of the, you know, hot, you know, celebrity mom influencer, you know, that's probably an easier uh, <laughs> lift to do than, uh, uh, than than to go out and just kind of stand on the street corner trying to sell CBD to somebody. Yeah. So um, we'll get into the show notes here, the ways to get in touch with you guys about doing the, yeah. the white label, because I do think that's a product that's revolutionary, innovative, and should should be sold to everyone, you know, as a, you know, post-recovery. Um, also, Exhale is one of our clients that you should get this into and higher dose. Um, so we should talk about that. Um, so in, uh, in in closing here, you wait, got... Wait, Pete, Pete, real quick. Yes, sir. Dan, you, yes. you mentioned, uh, as soon as I brought up uh, Akiso Water and the blockchain, you were rather impressed. And I think people need to know what you're doing with with the QR code and how that works because there's so much quality control yeah. issues the general consumer doesn't doesn't know about this thing yet yeah absolutely so we are trying to push the and and it's not just us it's a couple of other really good companies in the space are trying to push the industry to a standard where every single product that's made should be able to be traceable to a third party lab that's tested that and confirm that that product is clean safe and it has what it says you have in it. So whether it's the amount of CBD or the amount of another active ingredient in there, that should be able to, you should be able to look at that bottle, put your phone on that QR code and have a third party trusted lab tell you exactly what's in that bottle. And that's what we do with all our product. So in closing, you've been through a lot of different life experiences. Um, give us uh, you know, one quote that, uh, that either you live by or you, or you think about, or you, you know, you've told a lot of your employees, partners. Yeah. If you know you're in the right, never let the guy outwork you. What's that? I said, if you know you're in the right, if you know you're doing the right thing, never let anybody outwork you, you know, figuring out, figuring out if you're doing the right thing is hard enough. But once you do know that, that you're, that's what you're doing. Don't ever let, don't ever lose because somebody worked harder than you. Gotcha. All right. Well, it looks like you're, you're in the right place at the right time. 
and no one's going to look back and say, hey, man, you should have tried this before you got <laughs> here, right? No, no. Yeah, I've only got a couple of these left in me, or my, you know, my, my, my questions next venture I launch. I think you're good where you are. Well, uh, <laughs> welcome to the Halo sector. Thanks for having me. Uh, if guys can reach out uh, to Relivium.com or uh, uh, to me personally, uh, uh, with uh, once you guys have my contact, uh, would love to help anybody launch a product. Awesome. Okay, man. Have a good one. All right, guys. Welcome Thanks to the so sector. Much. Thanks, right, good you stuff. Guys. Bye.